Cast Strength, the Whiskey Podcast, brought to you by myself, Torrin, and my brother and co-host, Ronan. Follow us on Instagram at Cast Strength Pod or on Twitter at Cast Strength Pod. Enjoy the show. Slash. Right, we're live with me, Torrin, and my brother, Ronan. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, it's good to be... Back for a second podcast. Yeah. Who would have thought we got this far? Well, the success of the first podcast, I'm sort of overjoyed by all the nice comments and, and, and people listening. To yeah, really. thanks, thanks to everybody who listened to the first podcast. And if you joined us for a second podcast, then a big thanks goes to you. And a special thanks goes out to Nathan, our brother, who helped a lot with the editing of the first podcast, uh, which is uh, very hard work. Uh, today we'll be trying out two great whiskies. We've got a lovely long row red and an ard bag, one of the newer ard bags. Couldn't quite find the ard bag in the shop that's just been released, but I could find a nice wee beastie five year old from uh, our bag release. I think late last year. Mm. Yeah, we might as well get fired in to the first whiskey. Fired in to, f- to you. Uh, fired in at the first whiskey, and obviously in at the first beer to go along with it. Um, what have you decided to open today? So today I've got a beer from a Trappist brewery, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a, a beer brewed by Trappist monks. They're mostly brewed in Belgium. There is a few kind of... So different monks from the monks that make Buckfast. Different monks, but along the same lines. Aye. So monks seem to like to make alcohol. I don't know if they like to drink it. But this beer, uh, which is brewed in Belgium, um, as I was saying, has to be brewed by Trappist monks. And it has to be the second most important thing in that monastery. Right. Behind God, I would presume. But also, cool things about the Travis Breweries is that it's, it's a not-for-profit driven business. So any income they make goes to the maintenance in the monastery, uh, living expenses of the monks, and any leftover money goes to charities, which are in the local area. It's a good reason to make beer, I suppose. It's a good reason to buy beer. Yes, exactly. Um, the beers, well, the first beer I have... Um, picked up from the cave again is the Upfront Brewing um, Bourbon Oaked Imperial Milk Stout with coconut cream and Tongan vanilla beans. Sounds nice. Yeah, seeing how we were trying two peated whiskies, I thought I would go along the lines of porter stouts and stuff. Uh, so I've picked that up, just opening it now to go along with the Long Row Red. Yep, of course, yeah, it's partly why I picked the Trappist Breweries. I thought I'd go for an absolute classic beer to compliment. Classic, classic whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. So the Long Row Red, this is actually a 2015 bottling. It's 12 years old, cash strength, 52.9%. Long Row's the heavily peated um, expression from Springbank Distillery in Campbelltown, carrying on a slight Campbelltown theme from the first podcast. It's 11 years in bourbon. Doesn't specify whether first fill or second fill, refill bourbon, but and then one year. The last year in Pinot Noir wine. Yeah, the fresh Pinot Noir comes from New Zealand. Long Row Red, if people aren't familiar with this sort of series that Springbank release, is different red wine casks are used to finish or second mature. Yeah, it's been Malbec, it's been Cabernet Sauvignon, it's been several different wines, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and not necessarily just from New Zealand. These casks sourced from, from South Africa to Chile and yeah, mm. New Zealand. So it's a very interesting series, which constantly changes depending on the, the type of red wine, yeah. where the casks are from. And then these brought in at Campbelltown, the climate in Scotland, it's always interesting to see the sort of how it matures and how the, the red wine really has an influence on the whiskey itself. Mm. They've always been really good bottles along the red, um, kind of range. You know you're in for a good bottle, you know you're, you're in for a good bottle of whiskey. If you're buying a long row red, um, I know they're just about to release a Malbec, I think 10 year old in the next few mm. months. So keep an eye out for that if you're a fan of long row red. So yeah, long row, I don't, I always think that long row doesn't really be spoken about enough about how limited it is, especially when you then move into a limited series. Roughly around 9,000 bottles, it says in the label, being released of this particular long row red. Long row equates to around 10% of what... Right, is it that small? Yeah. It's really sort of minute, but 10% of what Springbank Distillery produced in 100 casks are filled along the way a year. That's not a lot, is it? It's not a lot. And when you talk about craft distilleries and everything like that, and 
releases that come from it, a hundred casks get for you. It's a tiny, tiny amount. Mm-hmm. And then to only release 9,000 bottles, I mean, you, you, you do see bigger companies, bigger distilleries producing a limited edition release, and it'll be in the tens of thousands of bottles that they've released. Aye. And it's just such a small amount, and then you limit that further into longer red. Yeah, it's like kind of extra limited. Um, they're obviously not producing a lot there, which is a shame. They, I wish they would produce more, but mm. that's probably why it's such a special distillery, Springbank Distillery. And that's probably why Long Row as a spirit is such a special spirit as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, what your Long Row double distilled, which is obviously different from the other uh, expressions from Springbank Distillery, the Hazelburn being three times, um, Springbank being two and a half. Yeah. Long Row, traditional way of distilling in Scotland, I guess, is double distilled. It's the heavily peated version, as I said. You're looking at about 50 to 55 ppm. Mm-hmm. And different... Obviously, from the Ardbeg, peat and the flavours you get from that. Um, common tool region within Scotland, yeah. they source the peat from. So it's a lot drier, it's a lot fruitier, the peat. Um, and it doesn't give you the same... Kind of medicinal... Medicinal peated notes yeah. that you traditionally associate with Isla and peated whiskies. You get... It's a lot softer, a lot, as I said, a lot drier, fruitier. It's more campfire, ash, than bit burst of smoke. Yeah. Um, yeah, what do you think of the nose? Huh? Yeah, so I've been nosing this whiskey as well. I've been kind of speaking there. First thing that hits you, and it's what you're wanting from this whiskey. I, pre- I presume that's what the producers want as well. Is that real wine influence coming through? But it's not. It's not overpowering. You've got a lovely burst of strawberries. It's got dry peat. You say that kind of that different peat, that tom and peat compared to an Isla peat. Yeah, but it is smoky. You've got a lovely kind of bacon there, smoked bacon. And I've got a slight marzipan coming in at yeah, the end. What do you think? Yeah, marzipan. I'd agree with that. Get a little almondy note to it. And on the palate, for me, it's it's kind of creamy. Mm-hmm. You've got a lovely oak influence. Typical Campbellton funk in there. You can tell it's a Campbellton whiskey. And more strawberries coming through. What do you think? I think you are getting a lot more of the red wine influence. In the palate, mm. then you then would the nose would suggest yeah very very fruity yeah red cherries strawberries glazed ham a sort of honey sweetness in there as well yeah. a little bit of meatiness as well uh, it's got that meaty salty kind of flavour that you get yeah, uh, I would I would associate that with what long row taste that's yeah. tasting out of long row and how do we drop of water cash strength fifty two point nine a little drop of water typical um. Springbank release in the sense that it's non-chill filtered, no added colours. Um, so Long Row, a little bit of history about Long Row from when it, I know you'll speak about maybe more of the history of the distillery, Long yeah. Row distillery, but Long Row itself is an expression from Springbank distillery released in 1973, it was first produced in 1973. Right, that was when they first distilled the Long Row, the brand. The brand, yeah. Springbank distillery. Yeah, but I've got a really interesting story. I say interesting, whether it is or it isn't. Listeners will decide, I guess. Long Row, when it started in 1973, fairly unknown, obviously. Um, mm. But I was working down in London. That's not, that sounds really wanky, but I was working down in London, pouring whiskies in the Whiskey Exchange shop in Fitztrovia, I think it's one of where the, this shop was. And a guy a guy came in, and we started speaking, speaking about whiskies, and then he noticed that there was a bottle of Long Row behind a, a glass cabinet right. of a really old expression of Long Row and he was saying that when Long Row started and it was being released he messaged I presume by pigeon um, to Campbelltown about how he owned a joinery business that was called Long Row Joinery Long right. Row, right? and he, he, he asked if he could purchase bottles to give out as Christmas presents to his staff mm-hmm. purely down to the, the name right. being the same and he said that Campbelltown or Springbank sent him down a case for free, no right. charge, a whole case, right? Right. And so he gave it out to his staff. Right. And he says, from that, he decided to buy a case every year right, okay. for his staff. So he bought a case from the very first time that Long Row was released. He's bought a case of Long Row 
I bet he wish he kept a bottle from each. This is what he turned around and said. Oh, right. <laughs> he turned around and says that he kept a bottle from the first free case that he got. Right, crafty. And it was the same bottle that was behind it. Not the same bottle, but the same vintage Aye. as the one behind the glass case. The one behind the glass case was on sale for, I think it was £15,000. Oh, right. And it was at this <laughs> moment, this guy realised he was... I've got a new car. I've got a new car. Uh, the extension's getting built in the house. <laughs> Whatever it, at this point, he's just seen his face calling drop. Up, calling up his partner. Uh, We're in the money now. Yeah, so it was at that point, you could just see the look in his face going, oh, I've done something genius here without even realising. I think that's... What was he going to save the whiskey for? Was he just doing it just because he liked the kind of memento? Yeah, I think he liked the momentum, uh, the memento sorry, of well, asking a distillery if he could buy bottles and then send my case uh, down for free. That's kind of typical of Campbellton generosity, though. Like, uh, to, you, yeah. you you want you want a bottle to share? We'll send you a case for free. Yeah. You want to taste the good stuff? We'll send you. I think it pairs really well with my complex, multi-layered bourbon oak imperial stout. Definitely. Um, and on, on on the finish of this whiskey, which is really really nice, it's um it's a long finish. You're getting a lovely dark chocolate in there again. That kind of kind of sweet smokiness coming through. I'm guessing the sweetness is coming from the barrel. Smokiness is obviously coming from the, the, the peated barley. Uh, but it's a very long finish. lingers in your mouth. It's mm. kind of exactly what you want from a kind of long little red in a Campbellton bottle. And I'm very happy I've opened it. I have had this bottle since 2015. And I'm very happy that we've opened it. It's, it's an exceptional dram. Yeah. Maybe the first exceptional dram of the podcast. The... Second maturation or finish for a year in the red wine casks does completely change it, but in a way that the flavours are blended together, obviously being single malt, using the word blended is it's difficult to think of another word for what I'm trying to say, but the way that the two flavour profiles of the long row and a Pinot Noir red wine have really came together and interlinked yeah. the, the connection. Yeah, you're getting uh, the combination of yeah. both barrels coming together quite nice. Um, so with long row... You're more clued up in your history of Campbellton distilleries than I am. Mm-hmm. Right, say Long Row, if anyone's ever been to Campbellton or looked at a map in Campbellton, Long Row is the longest street, I would presume. Yeah, I think that's probably the kind of simple way of why it was named was like, we've got a long street there. Yeah. And then Campbellton, we'll Long Row. And Springbank Distilleries just off, just up the coast yeah. from Long Row the street. Yeah. You've got a bit yeah, so I've been doing a bit of reading. This was actually a while ago. I came across this uh, book, which is the rise and fall of uh, Campbelltown Distilleries, uh, and I came across Long Row Distillery. It caught my eye because obviously Long Row is a brand that Springbank uh, used for the repeated expression. But that single malt takes its name from a former distillery in Campbelltown, which was called Long Row, founded in 1824 by uh, John Ross, and it was was situated, as you can imagine, on Long Row. Mm. However, it is, you you can't really find the distillery anymore because it closed down, but you can still find its warehouses. One of them is used by Springbank for uh, for warehousing casks, Mm -hmm. and one of them is used as Springbank's bottling hall. So the history is still there, even though it's just a wee bit hidden. Basically, the actual location of like the stills and the distillery of Long Row mm-hmm. would be the Springbank car park. So it's right, flat okay. just now. Yeah. It's tarmac. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it would have been situated there. And as I say, it was founded in 1824. And this really, this time really marked a kind of boom for distilleries in Campbelltown. Uh, a lot of distilleries were created. And uh, distil- distillers in Campbelltown, the, the people that were making the whiskey, became very successful. Mm-hmm. What I found interesting about this distillery was that they didn't just keep their money, they also used it typically to build churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Campbelltown, you can still find these churches, obviously. Uh, the, the founder, John Ross uh, of Long Road Distillery, fi- financed the United Presbyterian Church in Campbelltown, which, if anybody's been or if any of our listeners are from Campbelltown, you'll find that on Long Road. It's changed name, it's now the Lord and Lowland. And the Lawn and Lowland Church that's used as the another connection to, to whiskey is that's used as the label, the symbol with on Uncle Kerrin. Uncle Kerrin. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's the same church. And also if you think about the bottle and hall in Campbelltown and mm-hmm. Springbank Distillery, yeah. it is generally what, ten, twenty meters. Stone, stone's throw. A stone's throw 
from the front door of Lorna Lone Church. Yeah. So John Ross, who found this distillery, would walk out his front door yeah. and see the church that he essentially built. He financed the building of that church. So if you think about that in today's money, would mm-hmm. a business owner be able to build a kind of a church of that uh, grandeur? Yeah. And it's, if you've been to Campbelltown or you go to Campbelltown in the future, you'll notice Campbelltown sort of, well, it was sort of split, obviously by the lock, which was a lot longer and has been sort of land reclaimed. But if you look at the houses on the opposite side to yeah. where Springbank, Glengyle and the London Holland Church in particular, you see mm-hmm. they're a lot bigger. And that's generally where the distillery owners lived. Right, okay. So when you say he would walk out of his house and see Lorna Lone Church, it's because it was across the across the uh, I bet he'd walk out of the distillery and see Oh right, well he could probably walk out of his own house as well. Uh, um, well no, right, because he built it that built it that tall that anybody in the town yeah. could see it. Yeah. Uh, also, when I was when I was reading about John Ross, he was uh, it was making me laugh because supposedly he was the oldest distiller in Scotland. Any ideas what what age he was distilling to? So the distillery was founded when it was founded in eighteen twenty four. So eighteen twenty four, and he was the oldest distiller in Scotland. Uh, not in eighteen twenty four, but, but when when he gave up distilling or yeah. at the end, close to the end of his life, not in eighteen twenty four, further in the future. I'm gonna say. In his thirties, with a life expectancy in Scotland at that time, no, he did. He did well. I think. I think his uh, his money making distillery really kind of gave him the best quality produce. He probably had access to the newest medicines. He was distilling at eighty five. He would have been one of the oldest people in Scotland at that time. Probably, <laughs> definitely <laughs> the oldest in Campbelltown. You yeah. would guess. But such boom in Campbelltown during that during that kind of era for distilleries. So, Sorry to interrupt you in your flow, but so when Long Row was a distillery, mm-hmm. history of Hamilton having 33 distilleries through yeah. varying points. Legal distilleries. Legal distilleries. Yeah. How many distilleries were roughly operating in Hamilton in that time? In, uh, when I, th- Long th- Row I, th- I think founded? from the kind of early 1800s, yeah. that was when your 33 were in. That was in the boom. Probably majority of them, like, like at least 30, would have been working at the same time. Mm. So. You had very, very rich and wealthy people in Campbelltown, and that's why in uh, Alfred uh, Barnard's book on the whiskey distilleries in the UK, his section on the whiskey distilleries of Campbelltown, he said that there's nearly as many places of worship as distilleries in Campbelltown. Because mm. all these distillers, they had the big houses, yeah, but they decided that they all wanted to give back to the community, and at that time... The community went to church. It was a very religious town. Yeah. So they built churches and a lot of the grand kind of churches in Campbelltown were probably built with some money from distillers. You could, because distilling would have been legal for a long time. Mm. You often think that because the reinvestment of money from the wealthy within Campbelltown, because they, they, they had distilleries, was a sort of softening of the, the, the attitude towards distilleries. Yeah. Like, we well, we built a church for you, yeah. so please don't hate us that we're producing thousands of liters of alcohol uh, and taking all your water essentially. Uh, basically, yeah, because yeah. so, all the water from for these distilleries was taken from Cross of Loch, yeah, uh, which is the loch kind of at the, the foot of Bengalian behind Campbelltown. Interestingly enough, Long Road Distillery, they also had a really deep well on site, right? Uh, I don't know what that well is in relation to today. Mm-hmm. Presumably, it's been filled in. Unfortunately, this distillery was closed in 1896. Uh, but as I said earlier on, there still is kind of evidence of its existence uh, in the kind of warehouse at Springbank, yeah. in the bottling hall. There is a, when you're saying there's still evidence of the distillery, or parts of the distillery remaining there. Yeah. If you look throughout Campbelltown, and it's a really interesting tour, or walk around Campbelltown anyway, yeah. there's history of distilleries or warehouses or connections with the whiskey industry still around Camelton. Mm-hmm. So when casks were sold and would, they would sail up out of the, the loch to Glasgow to be blended, yeah. the ships would come in, the casks would be either emptied into Campbelltown so they could be used or, or put back on. Yeah. There's evidence throughout Campbelltown with the rocks and the stones and the brickwork that was um, used to offset the weight of the boat right, would okay. be dumped in Campbelltown and then the casks would go on. Right, okay. And then there needed to be something done with all these rocks and stones and bricks and everything. And you can look around Campbelltown from the warehousing, the oldest warehousing that Springbank have, Glen Scotia have, um, to walls 
or if you look, if you've ever been to Camelton, if you go the where the Tesco's is, which used to be Lock End yeah. Distillery, yeah, there's a Burn Distillery near there. Yeah, as well. there's an old warehouse wall that still stands. There's sort of four walls. There's no roof. Mm-hmm. That's another whole conversation about taking roofs off of warehouses so you don't pay tax. Yeah, but the brickwork in the buildings that you can see around Camelton is all very mismatched and sort of hobbled together. Is it? Yeah, and you can walk around and see what buildings were built from the offset weight bricks and stones. Right, and okay. So it's a constant history of the whiskey so industry. Did, so did this stone that the, the sailors would, yeah. would bring in, you couldn't actually find that stone in Campbelltown, I guess? No, no, it wasn't. It was it was essentially brickwork that was left over in Glasgow. Right, okay. That was used just to outweigh the boat, wasn't found in Campbelltown, and you can you could essentially walk around Campbelltown sort of state when these buildings were built. Yeah, so a lot of this town's building, a lot of Campbelltown's buildings were kind of in some way built off the back of the distilling trade, either through direct money finance yeah. for the churches, for some of the kind of grand houses that you find in Campbelltown, yeah. but also using the stones that were put on boats to offset the weight of the yeah. casks. Uh, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. It's it's a, a clear indicator, although only three distilleries, as we discussed in the last podcast, shouldn't it be four? Yeah. There's clearly a, a town's heritage and uh, their history. Distilling runs through that, whether people know it or not. Whether yeah, they, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. The evidence is there, yeah. but everybody just goes about their daily lives and you, you, sometimes you don't yeah. realise. Yeah. Another thing, because I, I kind of delved deep into the Long Road Distillery and its history... Um, I came across that Long Row, a, a normal distillery had like four or five wooden washbacks, had a copper mash tun, which was quite interesting. And you don't see them too often uh, nowadays, if not, kind of they're totally kind of gone. But one thing I came across was that Long Row Distillery had a Morton's refrigerator. Right. Do you know what a Mor- Morton's refrigerator is? Do you want to take a guess? Oh, well, I went. I don't know, a really cold room. No, no. So, a Morton's refrigerator was a device used to cool work down from the mash tun when it was transferred to the to the wooden washback. Right. So nowadays you have heat exchangers. Right. Technology advanced in uh, basically every distillery in Scotland now has a heat exchanger or something along those lines. You need it. Yes. It's coming out of the mash tun like 70, 65 degrees or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're needing to cool that down. By the time you pitch the yeast, it can't yes. be that high, it'll kill the yeast, it won't work. Uh, but yeah, it used to be commonplace in uh, distilleries. It was basically like a metal kind of rectangular box, which had metal f- uh, fins in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were filled with cold water, and the wort was passed through it, which would cool, cool, it cool the, the wort down. using. The- so it's, it's the same idea. You're using cold water... You're passing wort through the kind of that device. Yeah. Cools the wort down. Uh, and is that. That wouldn't have been commonplace at the time. It was relatively commonplace at the time. I think right. at that time, at that book that I was reading, which was uh, Alfred Bernard's book on the kind of on the, the whiskey distilleries in the UK. I think in Scotland there was like twenty seven distilleries in Scotland at the time mm-hmm. using that piece of equipment. Uh, but now there's only one. One distillery is carried on, and that is a kind of relatively small Scottish distillery. But they're producing really good stuff. I've never had a bad kind of dram from uh, Edredower Distillery. That's who still use it. They still use the same sort of pipe, cold water cooling system, the Morton's refrigerator. So they used the exact same piece of equipment they had yeah. from originally kind of the early 1800s or whatever. Yeah. They used that exact piece of equipment until it could not be repaired anymore. It got right. so old, it just... It, it just stopped working and they yeah. couldn't salvage it. However, instead of moving to the heat exchanger, yeah. they got they commissioned an, a, a, a stainless steel version of the exact same piece. Exact replica. So the, yeah, so they're the only distillery in Scotland that are using that. What um, obviously with the technology advances, there's usually a, a form of improvement, sort of improvement of efficiency mm. or whatever. What's the difference for? Uh, I would presume just a, a more efficient system. I don't actually know what is the difference between a Morton's refrigerator. No, you, I suppose I wasn't expecting you to know the exact. But would it be a just it's just quicker cools it down quicker? I, I, yeah, this was going to say. I, I would presume it's using less water. Yeah, 
cooling the water down quicker yeah. and being able to transfer faster. Yeah. So it's basically money saving, money saving, money saving. It's quicker, it's faster, and it, we use less water. Um, but yeah, that, that was the interesting facts I found about uh, kind of long road distillery. Uh, old John Ross, the oldest distillery in Scotland, probably ever. I doubt there's anybody older than 85 uh, distilling. And as I say, unfortunately, the distillery closed in 1896, I believe. But its name carries on. Mm-hmm. But maybe maybe the history behind the name could uh, could be told more often. The Camelton's got a great history with whiskey distilleries and a lot of their names are maybe like kind of fizzling out yeah. in history. But you had some really, really great distilleries in that town. With the history within Campbelltown, I just wonder why, I know you mentioned um, Ben and Turk. Starting to produce a small amount of whiskey. Uh, yeah, I think I think but you do the, wonder why there hasn't been a. Maybe it's location. I always think it might be location, but yeah. you do wonder why there isn't a new distillery with an old name. Yeah, coming out. Do you mean that like kind of like, especially now the industry is booming? Like, yeah. with, like sales are through the roof. Uh, there's new distilleries popping up all the time. I mean, all these. Why all, isn't there companies? Uh, Creating a distillery in Campbelltown, but using one of the old distillery names. You like all the all the things you see about the whiskey industry. If you look at it, it's the spirits business is a good website. The whiskey exchange used to have one um, with great information about what's going on in the whiskey industry. Mm-hmm. And all you see is sales through the roof um, and new distilleries popping up left, right, and centre. You do wonder when you've got a, an area, a region with such rich history in the whiskey industry, yeah. a, a history that literally, not literally. But using literally the wrong way, but a history that flows through the, the essentially the heartbeat of the town. Yeah, with all these old distilleries. Yeah. Why isn't there a new distillery coming in, popping up, and going? Well, ah, we're down to Yeah, I suppose. Do you, I, I, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you would think there would be more coming, but I guess that's up to us, right? We'll move on uh, to the next whiskey, which is something I'm very excited about. It's the Ardbeg Wee Beastie. Mm. It's a five-year-old Ardbeg, uh, and it's actually marketed, which I find quite funny, but also, yeah, it's quite honest. It's quite crafty. Ardbeg's youngest age statement whiskey. So the ABV of this whiskey is 47.4%. It's non-chill filtered. It's presumably natural colour. And it's designed to be uh, the rawest, smokiest Ardbeg release ever. Good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not overly a big fan of peated whiskies, but I'm looking forward to it to sort of when they're saying it's the rawest, smokiest. Yeah, you, of Ardbeg. Want, you want to try that. Out. You are interested in, in, in trying it. Um, before we do try it, I'll just say I'm, I am opening my second year. Yeah. Um, I've open mine. It's a coffee-infused Baltic porter from the Brass Castle Brewery, Black Russian can. It's if the I am looking forward to yeah uh, to go along with the the whiskey that I probably won't like. So I've decided to go for a sour beer. I really like sour beer. I've never heard anybody saying sour beer and whiskey goes together. But I'm going to test it out. I thought that if you have the smokiest whiskey from our bag ever, I'm going to pair it with an extremely sour, uh, particularly a lemon sour beer, just to see if it goes together. I've got no clue if it'll work out. It's from Tap Out Brewery, uh, and it's a triple lemon sour. You cannot fault that logic. So, as we as we go to nose and then try this, so our bag currently... Owned by Glen Morangi Company, Moe Hennessy, essentially. Yeah, so the, so so what I find interesting about this is this the same kind of master distiller, I don't think its title is master distiller, but it's a Dr. Bill Lumsden. And he's pioneered both the Glen Morangi Signet, mm-hmm. which was a mixture of different uh, malts, so you've got chocolate malt, crystal malt, etc., in the, the mash bill of Glenmorangie Signet, but he was also the guy that pioneered uh, the Ardbeg alligator. An alligator is referring to the level of char 
Right. That's inside the cask. So when the cask goes for its heat treatment, mm-hmm. you basically just turn the heat up and you leave it for as long as it can. And basically, it's called alligator because the inside of the cask... Scale. Yeah, it starts yeah. to look like the kind of scales of an alligator. Uh, and he's a fellow alumni of Heriot Watt University. Uh, so I've got a lot of respect for him. Uh, legends are crafted there. Absolute selfless promotion of, it, <laughs> of yourself. <laughs> it's got to be done. It's got to be done. Essentially, you, what you're saying is that it'll be Dr. Torrin Curry at some point. Uh, I don't think I would be smart enough to get a doctorate, but maybe maybe one day, maybe uh, one day. I'll get an honorary one. And you don't even have to work for those. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, firstly, before you even opened it, the one thing I noticed about the bottle the way it was labelled it says guaranteed five year old I did notice that and really I is that as you said it's because that's it's because we said it's five year old it's got to be five year old is the youngest whiskey yeah that that goes without saying you can't just put a number on a bottle and say we're this year old if you're putting five year on the bottle it has to be five years old yeah yeah it was just the the, so do you think when they were deciding to release this five-year-old, as well as making the point that good whiskey can be relatively young, yeah, that we're stating that it's only five-year-old? Because you can essentially bottle a ten-year-old and teaspoon a drop of five-year-old whiskey and then go, oh, it's five years old. Yeah. Do you think the point they're trying to make there is that this is 100% uh, five-year-old? Well, as I say, it was their youngest age statement whiskey that they've yeah. released. They've released a lot of non-age age statement stuff. Yeah. Uh, the OA, uh, Supernova and stuff. Uh, but this is the youngest age statement whiskey. I, I think they're just making a point. This is young, it's raw, it's aggressive, it's big, it's smoky, mm-hmm. and it's in your face. Um, but I haven't tried this whiskey yet. I'm just about to try it. I see you nosing it, so I'll let you tell me about the nose. I mean, you're sort of young and aggressive and in your face and more like a, a slap in the face or something. Yeah. This is what you're sort of looking for. It's a bit milder on the nose, actually, isn't it? That's the impression I was getting. Is it's, it's not as in your face, smack mouth, sort of strong, bold. It's, it doesn't come across like that in the nose. It doesn't scream to me a bit like when we spoke about the Nicknean and the, the box distilleries last week. Mm-hmm. It doesn't scream to me that this is a, a young whiskey from the nose. No. It's mellow. It, it's kind of mellow. It's, it, there is a wee bit of spiciness there. They're kind of like all spice. You've got a bit of cracked black pepper. And it's not full on smoke. It's a wee bit more like kind of smoked macro. The smoke is there. Mm-hmm. It's delicate. They've got that kind of fishiness that you would expect from a salty, isla, heavily peated whiskey. But it's more like it's more like a kind of smoked mackerel, I would say. In addition to the overall flavour, not just the only flavour that you're getting. That's probably my reason that I particularly don't like peated whiskies is the fact that peat is the only flavour that you get. Yeah. It sometimes can ruin it. It's something ruin it like it can be overpowering, it can be overbearing, it can ruin the other flavours. It hides, it hides the character, the other characters. Especially, sometimes I find it hides the cask influence, the cask influence that you would be really wanting to sort of draw out the taste, and then it's just peated smoking. Obviously, pe- people do like that, and yeah, when it comes to peated whiskies, the, the overbearing smokiness to it is something I don't particularly enjoy, but when you go to the nose... You just you just don't get that. From it's really enjoyable. I think though, like it's not quite what I thought it would be. I thought it would be a kind of punch in the face of kind of massive smokiness. Yeah, I've took the palate there and I've took it with and without water, uh, and I do think, yeah, it's very smoky. Uh, you're getting a lovely saltiness. You're getting kind of salted pork, chorizo. We touch a boat lacquer in there, but boat lacquer, boat lacquer. Have you drank boat lacquer before? No, no, I've not. But I've, I've de- I see, I see this all the time in tasting notes, and it's something that I understand where it's come from. It's, it's not the taste itself; it's the the memory that it's giving you that it's the taste. That you're, yeah, right. So you haven't actually drank boat lacquer. 
I've not drank it, no, but I know the flavour. You know... (laughs) 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 Although not being able to see in podcast form, I think hung my head and bewildered me. To be honest, (laughs) I put that in there and I laughed after I said it because I was like, will you pick up on me seeing Boat Lacquer well knowing that I don't have a clue what Boat Lacquer is, but I've seen it in plenty of tasting notes from... um, whiskey experts and I've always doubted that they know what boat lacquer is because I don't have a clue it, it'd be like saying oh you're on the palette I get I get green paint <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I suppose I always think tasting notes and a lot of the time although they are very, they're obviously very personal to the person trying them mm. and tasting notes are not gospel no I've well. seen the Tasting notes were on the bottle of the Ardbeg and some people would be turned off by the fact that they don't like the, the flavourings that are yeah. given on the... They're, just, they're not gospel, they're guidelines to try and manoeuvre mm-hmm. you to, to a whisky that you may or may not like. Probably tried Ardbeg more than I have. Yeah. I was... When you said that you bought this bottle and that we were going to try it, I was expecting probably something close to Lefroig yeah. or an Optimore. Yeah, with how sort of yeah, so was I. Yeah. So was I was expecting nearly kind of optimal in your face. It's young, it's aggressive, should be aggressive, but it's actually quite a nice, delicate whiskey. But we're talking; it's the same ppm as the long row. Yeah, fifty to fifty-five ppm. Obviously, different cast types have been used for a direct comparison to the long row. But it's very similar at the same time that it's very soft, mm-hmm. smokiness. Yeah. There's a smoke influence throughout from yeah. the nose to, to the finish. But it's not as overbearing, overpowering, aggressive yeah. to the reasons that I would say I dislike peated whiskies. It, it's not that at all. Yeah, it's, it's a bit more delicate. On the, on the finish, you are getting that saltiness. You're getting a lovely oiliness. You're getting kind of maybe pancetta. It isn't as peated as I thought. It would be. However, I'm enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, yeah, I would say I'm in the exact same position. I'm enjoying this a lot more than I thought I would. I thought it was going to be one-dimensional. In this whiskey, yes, has several different points that I'm enjoying. It's a lot more delicate than I thought. It's got a spiciness. I was expecting that, whoa, massive smoke, mouthful of kind of charcoal. It's not got that. It's got lovely kind of salty, oily flavours, smoked fish, kind of meaty flavours in it as well. So it's, it's, it's actually a very nice whiskey. It's, it's very, very a lot good. better than what I thought I would be tasting. I thought, it, as I say, I thought it was going to be one dimensional. Yeah. On the, the sort of finish, I, I find it quite dry, almost chalk, like chalk-like. Yeah. And this goes back to never eating chalk. Um, I would always do you know the sort of dustiness that you sometimes can get from stones and things mm. like that it's almost like that it's a, again I haven't chewed on many stones that you look like you have <laughs> I've got a jaw for, for eating stones um, <laughs> but it's got that sort of dryness maybe it is more an ash I know we've looked at the kind of in the previous podcast we looked at the kind of the foundations of the distillery the founders the history mm. But I, I think most of our listeners will know a bit about Ardbeg. They'll know its kind of current situation. They'll know it's an absolute stalwart in the whiskey industry. Yeah. But what I wanted to look at was actually the history of how Isla became basically the capital, maybe sitting behind Dufftown, yeah. if I think about it. But it's became such a whiskey distilling island. Well, it's, it, when you think of whiskey, Isla... Whiskies are up there as yeah. sort of your second thought or whatever, and it's also you know, people that will you will get people that will like Isla whiskies. Yeah, if you ask them if oh, do you like whiskey, they'll just like Isla whiskies. Yeah, it's it, it's an island that there is nine whiskey distilleries on that island, so you presume that kind of maybe one every two, one every three people maybe have. A connection to a distillery. I know somebody that works there. It's probably everybody knows uh, somebody that works there. I heard that wild stat. Right? Yeah. I have not looked to see if it's remotely accurate. Well, that's what we like. We like, yeah. we like wild f- claims. Um, the unemployment rate in Isla is like one percent or something. Yeah. Like, like which how many folk are on Isla? There's about twenty of them. So 
Well, that's quite a lot. <laughs> so 1% is actually quite big. So 0.2% of a person <laughs> is, uh, is unemployed. Uh, <laughs> I'm not great with numbers, but that's uh, what I'm going for. Basically, that's what I'm going for. Right. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you. Right. Do you know what connects a seven year, the year 1725, a riot in Hamilton happened? Do you know what connects that riot to the island of Isla? Right. Um, a riot in Hamilton in 1725. 1725. Well, I'll tell you. Oh, I was. I mean, what I was about to say. No, well, well, okay, cut it. People who were in the riot in Hamilton, yeah, fled to Isla and started producing spirit. Uh, no. Um, I'll tell you. Well, following the Act of Union between Scotland and England in 1707. England then extended their malt tax yep. to Scotland. Uh-huh. And being Scottish, or in fact human, Aye. we all hate taxes. I thought you were about to say something else there. Oh, we all hate... Yeah, no, I'm not <laughs> going to say that. <laughs> uh, so this led to the Scottish people becoming anger- angered as this caused the price of beer to rise. Fair enough reason. And then it led to that 1725 Hamilton riot. And from there, the riots spread across the country, which are more uh, commonly referred to as the malt riots. Right. Okay. So the riots started in Hamilton, spread to Glasgow. Mm-hmm. When the riot happened in Glasgow, it was a lot bigger and there was a lot, I want to say better riot, but yeah. I, I'm not sure of the right word. Uh, but basically, tax collectors, or goggers, as they were known at the time, mm-hmm. uh, they were chased from the city, most stores were commandeered, and the local MP, Daniel Campbell, a former uh, tax collector himself, had his home destroyed. Uh, you see the connection yet? Well, I... no. No. Okay. So, when he has his home destroyed, yeah. he is then compensated by the city for the damage caused. And he uses that money uh-huh. to buy the island of Isla. From there, he then encourages the Isla locals to use their sur- surplus barley to make whiskey. And uh, the rest is history. So, so the, the barley that was being used on Isla yeah. after Turncoat Campbell, yeah. that wasn't taxed. Well, it was taxed. It probably was not taxed. The, like, the thing about Isla is that when distillation, and this might ruffle a few feathers, but I'm a Scotsman that would say that distillation came, distilling whiskey came from uh, Ireland. And when it came over, they stopped at Isla first. They stopped right. on the kind of West Coast Islands first. Yeah. So presumably, and that was like, presumably they were distilling whiskey in Isla before Daniel Campbell came across and bought the island. Yeah. But he would encourage it. He would encourage it in the kind of 1730, 1725, 1730. He was encouraging it. And I really do think that that was the start of the proper, like, kind of legalised whiskey industry in Isla. Obviously, Ardbeg didn't start to 1815, but that's just when the tax breaks were cut. Yeah. And then distilleries could start producing legally. Mm-hmm. Most of your big distilleries in Isla, I would presume, started around the early 1800s, just the same as we spoke about in Campbelltown. Mm. There was loads of distilleries that started then. Uh, now Isla has uh, nine active distilleries uh, in alphabetical order. It's Ardbeg, <laughs> Balmore, Brickladdy, Bunahaben, Kalila, uh, Kilholman, Langvillain and Lefroy. And of course, Ardnehau uh, Distillery opened in 2019. So we'll see that in probably 2022. Yeah, nine distilleries. We've got one, I think there's planning permission, by Alexa Distillers. Right. Um, and then the Agio are reopening Port Ellen. The famous Port Ellen, yes. It, it, there's still bottles of Port Ellen going about, like thirty year olds, thirty five year olds. Yeah, but they're but they're now they're now a Maltings. It's a Port Ellen Maltings. Yeah, when you're running through the list of distilleries, there, there's something quite funny. Bunahaven, that's a BH at the end, um, which is quite funny. Weems Malts, independent bottler. Yeah, I've had a bottle of. Klein Leash, I think, from, yeah. from Queen's oh, Malt. Very, 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 very nice. Very nice. Very good independent bottle. 
They actually went and released a 28-year-old Una Haben, but misspelled it, and it was quite funny. Yeah, uh, it's well, quite, well, it's a very hard to spell yeah, uh, the, name. The, the two letters combined the B and the H create a V sound. Right, so that was similar to how we butchered uh, the Nicknean full name last yeah, week. Well, no, not you, I butchered yeah, it. Yeah, and, and not as bad as how you butchered Ardnaho's pronunciation. How is that pronounced? Ardnaho. What did I say? All <laughs> oh, right, okay, it's Arno. <laughs> I don't know how you pronounced it, um, but yeah, they they missed out the the H after the B, uh, which we finally released it anyway. Sort of carrying on our, our green mantra that we had from the first podcast, they decided just to release it yeah. instead of going back and relabeling, reproducing the labels and stuff. Yeah. Which I can see the point. I do think if Weems kept releasing their Bunahaben. Incorrectly spelt, yeah, could develop into some form of sort of cult. Uh, you buy Bunahaven from Weems because they've spelt it incorrectly. <laughs> uh, but I did find that was quite interesting. Um, and then carrying on the the green initiative again, I think Blue Claddy have actually they're no longer going to sell that. Is it the Blue Claddy ten that's in the sort of yeah pale blue, blue baby aye. blue sort of tin? The, the Laddie, I think. It's, yeah, it's aye, the, the Laddie ten. They're going to stop shipping that out. Intense. Yeah, they're going to give you the option to do it. Yeah, which I think's McNean do that as well. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a, I mean, a relatively interesting way to cut costs, mm-hmm. um, but also a, a good way to sort of make the point that we are trying whatever we can to yeah. to reduce carbon footprint and waste and things going to landfill. We've tasted two whiskies there. We've tasted uh, the Long Row Red. 12-year-old Pinot Noir cast bottled in 2015 mm. cast strength. And then we went on to taste the Ardbeg Wee Beastie uh, bottled, I think, late 2020 at 47.4%, if I can remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would like to just go through a kind of tasted note uh, review of uh, for the long roll from yourself. So the long roll for me wasn't as peated as what you would... I suggest was a heavily peated. It was very soft on the nose, very very fruity. You did get strawberries, and then going into the, the sort of palate, very again very soft in the smoke, sort of lingering in the background as the other flavours, quite biscuity, digestive sort of biscuity that sort of flavour, creamy, vanilla pods, very very delicious. Um, what about yourself? For for me, this whiskey is exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's smoked, but it's got that wine uh, matured aspect coming through. When you speak about the whiskey not being the long red, not being as kind of heavily peated as you think, I think that's down to the kind of inefficient kiln that you find at Springbank Distillery. Mm. It's long, it's short. The door's very small. It's hard to get an even spread of the yeah. smoke. And they, they even say that themselves. I've been on the tour of Springbank Distillery several times. They say that themselves. You can't get that full-on peatedness uh, that you would expect from a, a 50 to 55 uh, ppm whiskey. I also think the, the, the different types of peat yeah. will play an influence yeah, that, in that well. Yeah, definitely. But on the nose, first thing I got from this whiskey was strawberries. Even out of the bottle, when I, when I took the cork off, I'd smelt the bottle, it smelt like strawberries. I, I did think there was a real kind of smoke to it, not as much as you'd think, uh, but it is cash strength, so you're probably wanting to add a wee bit of water to kind of open up that smoke. But yeah. continuing on the nose, there was a real wine influence, there was that dry, kind of ashy peat that you spoke about. Lovely bit of meatiness, kind of smoked meat, maybe a bacon in it, and then that marzipan coming through. On the palate, it was creamy. There was a lovely bit of oakiness coming through. You had that. More more strawberries were coming through. Typical Campbelltown. You had a bit of funk. You had that uniqueness that we all look for in a Campbelltown whiskey. Yeah, it's got that. As we said about the Glen Scotia last week, it's got that Campbelltown funk to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think there'll be a Campbelltown whiskey that we try that won't say it's not get that Campbelltown yeah. funk. It's unique Campbelltown whiskey. Yeah. And on the finish, it was a long finish. Got a lovely bit of dark chocolate. The smoke was lingering. Yeah, this whiskey for me is exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, I've had this whiskey. I've finished a bottle of this whiskey before. I've kept a bottle for now nearly six years. Yeah. Uh, I've opened it for this podcast, and I'm really, really happy I did because it is. 
an extremely good whiskey. Mm. So then moving on to the summary of the Ardbeg, the Wee Beastie, what would you summarise as the, the the big points about the, so, the whiskey? So with this whiskey, I thought it was going to be so smoky, I would have been uh, maybe put off, maybe like, yeah, I like it. I like peated whiskies, but I don't like that full-on smoke. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised, if not... Uh, really surprised at how kind of delicate, more delicate than what I thought this whiskey would be, uh, and how flavoursome it was. On the nose, I got a lovely spiciness, cracked black pepper, allspice, that kind of smoked fish, that kind of kipper feel I got from this whiskey. What about what about you on the nose? Um, on the nose, I was surprised it wasn't as peated as you would believe it would be. That probably just comes from. Sort of assumptions about Isla whiskies. Yeah. Uh, well, certain Isla whiskies. Um, yeah, cracked black pepper. It was also quite spicy, like a cayenne pepper. Yeah. Um, cream, marzipan, butter on the nose. I get, it was essentially like a smoked slice of marzipan cake. Right, okay. Like a, a smoked, cake. Uh, like, smoked Battenberg cake. Yeah, that's what I really got across the nose. Getting into the palate, obviously I got the, the boat lacquer um, tasting note. Again, go back to the, the Isla whiskey. It's an island whiskey. You've got a lot of saltiness. You've got a, a nice a nice amount of peat smoke coming yeah. through that really, instead of disliking it as I thought I would, Sort of encouraged me to try more of it. Yeah. Um, drop of water sort of mellowed out the big sort of smoky flavours that were there. Yeah. Um, what about yourself? Uh, so, on the palate, I was expecting massive smoke and I was ready to talk about this massive peated whiskey that all you could taste was smoke. It was fire, it was embers, it was burning peat bogs, but... I, again, as a carrying on from, from the nose, I thought it was a lot more intricate and had a lot more complexity to it than just massive smoke. Uh, I thought there was a lovely saltiness that you'd expect. I thought salt of port. I thought actually chorizo sausage with that wee bit of spice in it. Yeah. And I said earlier uh, on bolt lacquer, just thinking Ronan might pick up on it, and he did, thank. Uh, thankfully. Uh, on the finish, nice long finish, salty. It was oily. It was uh, pancetta. Uh, it was it was a really nice finish, really long finish, uh, and so nice. Uh, we enjoyed this whiskey so much. We poured another wee dram just to have another wee bit. Yeah, it is. It's a whiskey that is inc- after trying it the first time has encouraged me to try it again. Yeah, really pleasant spice. I thought it was going to be that kind of in-your-face smoke and it turned out to be a lot more complex. Maybe we've just not tried enough Ardbeg. Maybe we'll have another glass yeah. after after the podcast. Uh, but yeah, you, you may have noticed um, we haven't gave these whiskies in, in either the first podcast or this podcast. We haven't gave them a score out of 100. Uh, I previously said they were stupid. If that's what you want to do, rate them out of 100, then that's fine. However, I find the scores of a hundred sometimes they can't as a as a as a whiskey drinker you can't really relate to them. They're subjective. Yeah, they're a bit like what we said about tasting notes. They're very subjective. It's all based on your own opinion. Yeah, whiskey's a drink that I often find is to do with the environment that you're sitting in. Yeah, if you're sitting in front of an open fire, having laughs and fret with friends and everything. It'll taste different than if you were to try the exact same whiskey standing in a, a Dunnish-style warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's different if you're on a Zoom call. It's different if you're trying it in person with a, a barman or whatever. So, yeah, ratings for me, very subjective, and you can take take every one with a pinch of salt. We've decided to argue over a league table format. Yeah, so basically we want to give you kind of honest and open tasting notes of what we think the whiskey's like and then also as a bit of a laugh, put them into the Scottish Whiskey League. It does sound like a very niche political party we've started. Oh, does it? The Scottish Uh, Whiskey League? uh, Yeah, it could could be, but really this is a kind of fake Scottish professional football league but in... 
in whiskey form. And obviously, we've only tasted uh, four Scottish whiskies. We've tasted one, what we would class as a world whiskey. Which will go into the, the World Whiskey the League. The World Whiskey League, yeah. So, so, so that's when saying, we get total world domination. Yeah. Uh, there's a form the World Whiskey League so we won't we won't be going into the World Whiskey League today because there's one kind of he's currently winning the league there's one out of one winning the league and that is the kind of the, the high coast distillery with the box but the Scotch Whiskey League we've tasted four different Scottish whiskies and we're going to put them in to league format Ronan's going to take us away with what he should think would be top of the league throwing me in at the deep end there um, so we've obviously tasted the Ardberg and the Long Road Red yeah. today, and we've tasted previously the Glen Scotia Port yeah, so and the Nicknean. Yeah, so Long Road Red, 12-year-old, we've tasted the Glen Scotia Port, 14-year-old, yeah. Malts Festival Edition 2020, yeah. with the Ardberg Wee Beastie, Five-year-old. which it has turned out to be quite a wee intricate wee beastie. Right, and then we've obviously got the, the Nicknean, yeah. non-agent the I would argue the fact that the Nukneen is number one. Wow, really? Yeah. And why? Because I liked it the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Nukneen is the one that I'm most interested in, and if you offered me another Ardbeg Wee Beastie or the Nukneen, I would pick the Nukneen. No, I get that. To be honest, I put the top, I put the long row red 12-year-old that we've just tasted there, and the reason for that is... Because it's exactly what I look for in a whiskey. And I know I've said that a couple of times before, but uh, this whiskey is red wine matured. It's got a decent age on it. It's got real good smoke. It's extremely complex. You're wrong. Am I? <laughs> yeah. And how's that? Because the clean is just better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would go, personally, the Nicknean. Yeah. The Glen Scotia 14 year old port. Right, okay. Then I would go the Long Row Red and then I would go the Ardbeg Wee Beastie. Right, now, okay. Yeah, now, I'm, I'm willing to move on that. So I would I would have the Long Row Top, yeah. the Nicknean second, right. Glen Scotia third, and Ardbeg Wee Beastie fourth. So we're agreed on the Ardbeg. Right, yeah. Um, but I think it's a very tight table, it's a very close table. I've enjoyed Every single one of these whiskies. Yeah. I would be open to putting Nick Mee in top through a bit of persuasion. Well, the only persuasion you really need is if you were to try the whiskey again, you'd maybe come round to the right way of thinking. Um, <laughs> you've got the long road top. It's a good whiskey. I really like it. I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. I would settle, I guess, for Nick Mee being second. But yeah. Well, the reason I would put long road top is because it is just so complex. There's yeah. so many different brilliant things about it. The Rignean is an extremely good whiskey that we were really surprised about tasting well. Uh, and it's got a great backstory. It's a, it I, seems like a distillery that I would love to visit yeah. uh, when when eventually we can. I think that shows how um, subjective and opinionated rating whiskeys is. Yeah. Because I th- I like the Nicknean the most, the one I would try the most again. Yeah. But you don't. So it's I like it, I like it. I just don't think it's as good as the long row. Alright, well, have it uh, fine. Long row's got the history, you've got long row distillery, you've got old John Ross. Yeah, but the oldest distiller in eighty five year old, are you, you gonna can... take are you gonna take the top spot away from old John Ross? You can rhyme off all the John Ross facts that you want. Yeah, being an old, and uh, being an older distillery, a distillery that this whiskey wasn't made at, so it's actually that doesn't help your point. It does. It, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Long row is number one, right? Uh, I'll take Nicknean number two. Nicknean number two on goal difference. That's the thing. It's a very tight league. I would say between top and bottom, you've got maybe one or two one or two goals, maybe one or two points. Uh, but in this Scottish Whiskey League, yeah. I'm going to say long row first, McNean, batch two, second. Yeah. I'm going to say Gun Scotia, 14-year-old, Camelton Maltz Festival 2020, Bottling. That, they're third. Then I'm going to say Ardbeg, Wee Beastie, 
fourth. Yeah. But a very tight league. I'm going to make the point that we should just completely disregard what you think. Yeah. On the basis, the history that you've put Long Row first for. Yeah. Why haven't you then used the same history within Campbelltown that Glen Scotia would have uh, to put it first or even second above the nickname? I like old John Ross. He's an old distiller. I'm a distiller. We share common... Uh, Surely that would mean that the Ardbeg would be top then, seeing how you went to the same school as... Dr. Bill Lumsden. Yeah, your best friend, Dr. Bill. Uh, I don't know him personally. I'm sure he's a nice man. You don't, you don't know this Jonathan Ross? Jonathan Ross. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know him. I know he's been... I, I think we should completely disregard your rankings on the basis that they're completely inconsistent from the whiskies. Right. What Scottish Whiskey League, from one to four, do you want to agree on then? We're both agreed on Ardbeg num- being number four. Glen Scotia, yeah... Can be third. Yeah, I'm willing to concede that the history behind Long Row and its heritage within Campbelltown and everything, yeah, it can be number one, but I'm disgruntled at the fact it is. Right, so we agree. Long Row number one, McNeon, Batchdown number two, Conscotia 14 year old number three, and uh, Ardbeg Weebeastie number four. But I would be surprised. If we drink much better whiskies in the four we've tried, Scotch whiskies, I mean, in the four we've tried in the first two podcasts, I think we've uh, hit the ground running in terms of bottles, in terms of drams we've drunk. Yeah. Uh, and I've been really, really pleased drinking them. The, some of them have been surprising in a very, very good way, notably the knee in the Ardbeg. So, regarding the Ardbeg, I know we spoke about previously about time rum whiskey supplying very quickly the yeah the nickname the Ardbeg you picked that up so yeah so I picked it up at Good Spirits Co uh, in the west end of Glasgow I think it's in the Hindland kind of area of uh, Glasgow I took a walk there the other day I hadn't been in uh, Good Spirits Co before but obviously uh, with the pandemic which we're all currently going through uh, I knew it was, wasn't probably getting the experience that I would get pre-pandemic, but when yeah. I walked in, I was met with great charm, to be honest, and I went in and I, I, I told them, I said, look, I'm looking for a whiskey that is maybe just got a wee bit of something interesting about it, Yeah, and I was talked through the whole range, uh, and they told me everything they had, and it was just a really good experience, and it's hard, it's probably quite a wee bit more difficult to get extremely good experience in whiskey shops or in beer shops or spirit shops currently because you pretty much you can't walk around them you can't go pick up bottles you like you know what i mean you can't yeah. have a look at things it's like you're pretty much going in and i went in a wee bit blind i knew what i kind of wanted i wanted something that was just interesting that i would like to take on this podcast and, and speak about uh, and i was met by great customer service and a shop i'll be going to again that's the Good Spirits Co. in the West End of Glasgow. Yeah, it is something that's purchasing a spirit from a independent yeah. retailer. It's often quite a, a personal experience, mm-hmm. something that you need advice on, a little bit of direction. You're looking for the expertise of the person working exactly. it. It is something that's been taken away as much as everything else, but in a less serious note, that it's been taken away because of the pandemic. Yeah. And when you go into a spirit shop now, because of the less interaction, it's almost like going down the, the booze aisle of a Tesco's or an Asda or something. Exactly, yeah. You sort of need to, you don't have time to browse, you need to know what you're purchasing. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the great thing about independent retailers is you get that personal connection with the person working there and then they can direct you whatever you want. To the bottle that you're going to enjoy. Yeah, the one that's that, exactly the, what's happened here. They've yeah. directed me to a bottle that I've been a wee bit kind of cautious of. Yeah. Like, is this just a massively peated young whiskey that's in your face and has no character, has no complexity? Yeah. But it's turned out to be a very good bottle. Mm. A very good whiskey that we've both enjoyed and we're both sipping on another dram of. And on that note, we'll call that the end of the second podcast. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. See you later.